Can someone be charged with murder if no one's missing and you can't prove anyone actually died? This week, we dissect the unsolved mystery of the Gunter Hotel, room 636. Ooh. I'm Daniel. And I'm Brittany. Let's get chilled and thrilled. Well, Brittany. My name, well, Brittany, was like, that's what I thought when you said, well, Brittany, like I'm a whale. <laughs> whale. Whale, If Brittany. I was more from the south, then I would say whale. Honey, you are from the south. But I'm not San from Antonio. that kind of south where I'd say whale. Yeah, you are. Look in the mirror. Look at the, uh, before Google, I don't even remember, whatever search engine it was in the early 2000s, look at your family tree <laughs> on that web page. Just do that. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Somebody had done an old HTML website with genealogy. Bum, 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 and bum, they had this bum. real, very cheesy MIDI version of dueling banjos. It was dueling banjos. And it was just too much do, for do, Brittany. Do, she do, was do, like, do, oh, do, do, goodness. Do, do. I did one of those searches back then. You had to like put things in quotes. Mm. You know, you had to search a certain thing and you had to have like the parentheses around certain things. And I remember searching your full name and I searched my full name and I was just seeing what's on the internet out there. Mm -hmm. What's what, what information is there? And yeah, I pulled up yours and it was something about a family tree, a genealogy, and it was all text. And it was just like literally one. Probably if you printed it off, it'd be three foot worth of just a wall of text with this person and this person were married here and there. This person was married, you know, or uh, born this time, all that stuff. And it was just family member after family member. And it got down to y'all and I'm listening or I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's him. That's for sure. Daniel's family tree. And my speakers were on and about, this was about. I don't know, 30 seconds into looking at this, I hear ding, 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 ding. Like, what the fuck? And then da da dun 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 boom 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 ding 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 Like, the dueling banjos are just playing through this website as I'm looking at Daniel's family tree. And it was the most country... Oh my God. I was just like, this is, this is Daniel. This is your family. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of being country, I'm now the proud owner of a brand new 23 year old beat up old rusty pickup truck. You sure are. And you're so happy about it, aren't you? I've been wanting to buy one for a long time, but the timing was never right. And they're expensive. Even old trucks. I mean, compared to a car, yeah. I mean, it's just for going to the hardware store and, Bringing home furniture from the thrift store. I was about to say, store. the hardware store. You know we're going to the thrift store to get and some old antique furniture. Doing outdoorsy things. You know, you used to roll your eyes when I say I want to get a truck, and then you've been starting to come around over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And now that I got one, you're out there helping me clean the, the upholstery, and we're at Walmart, you're like, oh, get I'm this not going to sit. I am not going to sit on 23 years of somebody else's ass. I am going to clean... The cushions, and that's exactly what I did. Well, I appreciate the help. And, of course, within two days of owning the truck, yes, we were at the thrift store. Hell yeah, some furniture. We were. And, of course, my dumbass didn't hold the thing right, so this side table went sideways and all the drawers fell out and they all broke. So Typical. Yeah, thankfully you're pretty good at putting that stuff together, but time out. What's going on with you, Brittany? I'm just watching the cat over here cleaning herself. She has to find the... The weirdest places to sit. She has to be on top of something. She can't just sit on a surface. She has to find papers or a manila folder full of papers to Mm. sit on and lick her butt. On that note, I'm doing pretty well. (laughs) Speaking of licking butts. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. Speaking of. Um, No, I was just trying to segue into... 
your question about how I was doing, no association with butt licking. I have none. I know that is not in my no. But when you said that, I was just trying to segue, but that was pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing fine to answer your original question. Um, what's new? Well, you said we got some stuff from the thrift store, so I've been working to refinish that, which always gives me a a fun purpose, you know, to, it's fun to get out there and make, take something old and, you know, kind of looks ugly and then just redo it and you got a whole new piece. Yeah. It was a pretty dramatic transformation just within the first night. And I know you wanted to do more stuff to it, but it looks super cool. Thank you. Well, I have a true crime slash unsolved mystery for you today. Yay. Murder mystery. Yay. With a side order of paranormal. Sweet. This story is so weird. How weird (laughs) is it? I'll tell (laughs) you. When I first heard it, I I knew I had to tell you all about it. Now, it does take place in Texas again. Okay. I swear I'm not trying to make that my thing, y'all. I promise. But it was just too good to pass up. On February 2nd, 1965, a man in his late 30s walked into the Gunter Hotel in downtown San Antonio. He gave the name Albert Knox and was checked into room 636. Over the next few days, he was stumbling his way around to all the bars, (laughs) forging checks all over town. Sorry. I'm like, good for you, man. Not the the (laughs) bouncing check things, but stumbling from bar to bar. Good for you. Yeah. During this time, he was seen with a young blonde woman who accompanied him on the town and in the hotel. Oh, my. Yes. On the afternoon of February 6th, the maid assigned to the sixth floor that day disregarded the do not disturb sign on the doorknob to room 636 assuming it had been left there that long by mistake. Oh. When she'd entered the room, she saw what she thought to be a man sleeping under the covers in the bed, so she quietly left the room and moved on. Mm -mm. After a shift change, the sixth floor was now the responsibility of Maria Luisa Guerra. Not knowing that the previous housekeeper had already checked, Maria again bypassed the sign on the door and used her key to enter 636. As the door swung open, she was confronted with an absolutely horrific sight. The entire room was covered in blood. Ooh, that's, ooh. Like, how much blood does that freaking take a lot? I'll tell you. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) Standing next to the crimson-saturated bed was the room's occupant, holding a large box, staring back at her as if he was just as surprised as she was. Maria let out a scream, terrified at what she had seen. But the man just brought his index finger up to his lips, as if to tell her to stay quiet. Oh, fuck that. Then he took his box and ran out of the room and down the hall. Now, through her shock, Maria did manage to tell another maid what she had seen. And that maid told a bellhop, who finally told the manager. But after this whole big game of telephone, it was about 40 minutes later before the police were finally called. So there's this room, the day shift maid goes in there, seems to be just a guy asleep, no blood. Then the night shift comes along, the night maid goes in, it's covered with blood, walls are covered, splattered, and the bed's all bloody, and the guy is just sitting there, alive, on the bed, holding a box. Yeah, like a bundle or a box, like... That is some creepy shit right there. That's where, and then to to bring up your finger slowly to your lips and go, shh. Yeah. Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, no, not today. And as I thought about like, why didn't they just run straight to the manager and say, hey, there's, and I think, okay, well, there are other guests here. And yes, there's an emergency, obviously, but maybe they're like, well, you know, we have to consider the other guests. And when we're going about this and when there's a problem, I'm sure they would normally be quiet about it and be discreet about it. 
So maybe that's why, like, oh, I just saw that. I can't believe it. And then they told this person who told that person. But 40 minutes later, they called the police. How is screaming when you see that not being, like, how is that being discreet? Well, obviously, that was just a reaction. That would have alerted me. Yeah. I would have been like, gee, what the heck? Did someone uh-huh. just screamed? Exactly. People sticking their head out of the room. I don't know. Maybe at that point in time, there weren't as many people actually in the rooms because they're out doing stuff. They come back later. I don't know. But when the police did arrive, what they found was as mysterious as it was gruesome. Let's hear it. The bed was virtually saturated with blood. It was on the walls, on the door, on the carpet. There were numerous trails of blood tracking back and forth to the bathroom where the bathtub and the toilet were also covered in blood. Oh, my God. And the tub had a red-tinged ring around it as if it had been drained of bloody water. Oh. They also found bits of human flesh (gasps) and blonde hair, small bloody footprints around the room, women's arden garments, (laughs) <laughs> Just when you're ready Alright Women's <laughs> Okay, okay We got this Women's undergarments and nylon stockings There were also remnants of bottles of wine Olives and stinky cheese I'm sorry yeah, it was stinky specified. Che- is, is stinky cheese. Yeah, normal cheese would not have been specific enough. Would that be like the? It starts with an M. Munster. Munster. Yeah, that Eddie real, Munster cheese. No, there. I know it's got an E in there. It's yeah. Weird. I don't know what kind of cheese it was, but it, it smelled stinky bad, cheese. Yes, I'll have an order of stinky cheese, please. Mm-hmm. With all that was all over the room, the thing that smelled was the cheese. Well, based on all that they had found the police concluded that someone must have been killed in that room. No. And the body likely had been dismembered on the bed. Oh. And that some of the remains were likely flushed down the toilet. What they did not find was a body. On the bed, officers found the casing of a fired twenty-two caliber round. Then a twenty-two caliber slug was found embedded in the wall near a bloodied chair. Question, hold on, question, because you know about guns. Is that a big caliber, and would that have made a lot, like, a loud sound? No, it's not. It's one of the smaller ones. In fact, find out later the specific type of twenty-two, and it's the smallest type of twenty-two, like the lowest powered. It would have made a, a, a popping sound, for sure. But not like a big, like some guns are like... You hear a gunshot. It would not have been a boom. It would have been more like a crack, like a pop sound. Okay. I mean, it definitely would have been a loud sound, louder than what you'd expect to hear. But again, who knows? Maybe nobody was in the the rooms adjacent to there. Uh, At the time that this happened, it was sort of middle of the afternoon. Maybe people are out, you know, on a Saturday out doing things around town. Sure. So... Finding the slug in the wall by that chair that had blood on it and the casing on the bed, that led detectives to believe that the woman had been shot from the bed as she sat in that nearby chair. Now, I'm going to pause real quick and show Brittany some of the crime scene photos real quick. Yay! And we'll get a couple of them posted for y'all as well. Whoa. Pretty grisly, huh? It is. I I was picturing something much more like someone took buckets of blood and like put them on the walls. But no, I see. It's a little there were some. It, yeah, there's some, but it's not as much an exaggerated as, as I was thinking. But definitely a lot of blood. Do you think there's any way someone could have lived through whatever happened there? If it was just one person's blood. Probably not, but then again, then again, people like, you know, get a limb bitten off, you know, by a shark and lose like 60% of their blood and somehow they still survive. But I I doubt it. It's hard to tell. Those are black and white photos, of course. And just a few, it's not like though we had high resolution 
pictures and videos from that time anyway. Well, as it turns out, right around that time, the police department in San Antonio had just added canine units. And a police dog named Lobo followed the suspect's trail down the hall to a window ledge where they found a couple drops of blood. That window led to a fire escape all the way down to the ground outside. Because it was February, though, it was already dark by that point. It was cold and it was rainy. The dog lost the scent at the window. Oh. He was still a very good boy, though. Oh, good Lobo. So now you've got, presumably, a killer at large, nobody, and it's been hours since he left the hotel, so he could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. But you also have a guy covered in blood, carrying a bloody bundle of linens or something in a box. I mean, how far could he get in a busy downtown metro area without being spotted? Okay, this, I don't think you said this before, but was he covered in blood too? Um, one would assume he would have to have been covered in blood. If he was there. Yeah. I can't remember going back if the maid specified that he himself was bloody, but I, bl- I believe he was. Okay. Another report said it was, it was um, people saw him down by the river acting suspiciously. Okay. And he was gone by the time police got there. Somebody else said they saw somebody hiding between the cars in the parking lot. That's suspicious. Blood drops on the cars around those areas. Yeah. Well, this getaway spurred a huge manhunt in the city. Police were everywhere. They were even stationed on the rooftops looking for the suspect. And there was a separate search just as desperate for any sign of the body. They were dragging the San Antonio River. They were having the sanitation department look out for any signs of body parts in the sewers. From the flushing down the toilet? Right, because it looked like something had been flushed down there. Of course, this was big news in the papers. I would imagine on you know TV news as well at that point. And any new info that came out was front page when it was released. It had the entire town on edge and tips were flooding in from concerned citizens. Most of them were nothing, so they at first weren't really getting anywhere. But Detective Frank Castillon got a lead that gave them crucial information. He was able to confirm that the wine and cheese found in the room had been purchased at Shiloh's Delicatessen downtown just a few blocks from the hotel. You remember that place? Mm-mm. I don't think we went in there together, but it's pretty cool. It's like the oldest restaurant in San Antonio. It's been there since the teens. Okay. So that purchase had been made from Shiloh's Deli with a hot check. And that check had been signed by the suspect using his real name. Idiot. (laughs) Like that meme of the guy on the car, right? You dumb bitch. His name was Walter A. Emmerich. And remember how he'd been writing these hot checks all over town? Mm -hmm. Well, now the police had a suspect and they're able to trace his activity over the past week by all the bad paper he'd been spreading around. They could also use his name to find out who this guy was and where he came from. <clears throat> Sorry. Walter Audley Emmerich was born in 1926 in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. He grew up in a home where his mother coddled him, but his father abused him, hmm. frequently insulting him with homophobic slurs. <sighs> Because of that, he ran off without telling anyone and joined the Navy in 1944. Heck of a time to be joining up, huh? Yeah. Possibly to get away from his father, but he came back home after serving two years. Things then got even worse between Walter and his father because Walter had become a heavy drinker and he was getting into physical fights with his dad. So he went and he signed up again for military service, this time with the Air Force. Can you do that? Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought if you were in one, you could only be in one. And yep. If you're discharged from one service, you can go to another one. Well, that's good to know. I learned something new. Mm-hmm. So after his training, Walter was stationed at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, where his life as a criminal started to begin. He was accused of stealing the property of other airmen, and on a number of occasions, he would leave the base without permission get fall down drunk, and have to be retrieved by military police, often from gay bars. Interesting. 
Guillermo Fuentes, who quite literally wrote the book on this case, it's entitled The Murder of Room 636, and he'd been researching this case for well over a decade. He said this when asked if he thought Emmerich was gay. Quote, I think he had a problem of identity. Because at the time in which this took place, talking about the 60s, it was not openly accepted by society. The real answer to that question is, we don't know. Maybe he didn't either. Who knows? But what we do know is that he was a charming and charismatic young man, but had never been really in a steady relationship. In 1957, Walter's mother left his father and moved to San Antonio to be with him where he was stationed. Walter was discharged from the Air Force, and his mother eventually remarried to a man named John J. McCarthy. Walter continued to drink and get into trouble, actually ending up in prison for a while. And despite his mother always having his back, always trying to bail him out of situations where he messed up, Walter stole a checkbook from his mother with his stepfather's name on the checks. So was that the hot checks that he was writing? Mm -hmm. This is how he got into fancy hotel like the Gunther, how he'd been drinking his way around town for days, and now how the police knew who they were looking for. Once they knew who it is, and they find out about his criminal record, then they get his mugshot out to the newspapers and the television stations. Everyone was on the lookout for this guy. I have an exciting announcement for y'all about Instacart. In addition to shopping your favorite stores from the comfort of your couch, you can now shop, are you ready for this? Spirit Halloween using Instacart. Are you freaking out yet? I know I am. Spirit Halloween is the largest Halloween specialty retailer in the country with over 1,400 locations across North America. They offer a one-stop shop for all your Halloween needs, including costumes, decor, party goods, and accessories. We already love the convenience of Instacart because they connect you with personal shoppers in your area to shop for and deliver the items you need from your favorite stores. And they save you money with coupons and time with deliveries in as little as one hour. Follow the link in the show notes to claim the free delivery on your first order over $35. Using the link lets Instacart know that we sent you and helps show your support for our show. Spooky season is in full swing, so while you're shopping for your groceries and household items, why not treat yourself to something spooky from Spirit Halloween with Instacart. It turns out Emmerich actually hadn't even left the vicinity of downtown the whole time since he left the Gunter that Saturday evening. Hiding right under their noses. That same night, he had actually checked into a different place called the Rio Lotto Downtown Motel. We know that on the following Tuesday morning, February 9th, he walked out of the Rio Lotto without paying the bill. Then he walked down the street to see what was going on with the police activity around the Gunter Hotel, maybe to see if the police were onto him all at all, if they had any suspects or leads. That afternoon, he entered the Sears Roebuck store and demanded an industrial-sized meat grinder. Yeah, about that. <laughs> they showed him the largest one they had, but he said he needed one larger and more powerful. I need one like, you know, the size of... Sir, can you can you come here? About the size of this <laughs> right here. This can, can you just step into that? Yeah. Can you fit your head in there? How about your shoulders? Are those? No, it's not going to work. We I need, need bigger, bigger. Bigger. More power. They didn't have one in stock. <laughs> so, so, so. <laughs> that did not sound anything like that. And You got the point, so just leave it. Huh. It's not for you. Leave it. Nobody's going to get that because they don't know what I'm talking about. I do. All right. That's what's important. It's an inside joke. You're not in on it. <laughs> they didn't have one in stock. But they told him, hey, we can order one from our warehouse. No big deal. It's fine. He insisted that he didn't have time to wait. He wanted it now. And then he left the store. Don't you understand? I have a body I have to get rid of. I need yeah. this now. I need this yesterday. This whole thing. It's not sus at all, is it? You don't even play that. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I had a coworker just introduced me to the world of Among Us, and now I'm playing it all the time. If you haven't seen it, it's an app where you're little spacemen, and it's kind of like a, a murder mystery. Well, maybe he should have just called that bitch Carol Baskin. 
I bet she's got a meat grinder big enough. Actually, she didn't. They That was one of the things that they used to um, shoot down that argument about her grinding up. They showed the one that they had there, and it wasn't, you know, I mean, it was just a, like a normal you just got to cut it into smaller pieces. Yes, but that would leave blood and evidence everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's what the tigers are for. Oh, my gosh. I digress. And you I what? can't... <laughs> I can't pronounce. You guy dress. I guy dress. Oh, good. It's better than girl dress for you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But I digress. So it seems though like he has a plan in mind at this point, right? Run what he could through the meat grinder, maybe ditch the rest of it somewhere else, maybe somewhere where he thinks they won't be able to find it, maybe in the river, in an area they're not searching. Very under some of the, like under a septic tank in Florida, something like that. That's very specific. Yes, because oh, because Carol Baskin. Oh, it's like I thought you were saying that's like what he did. <laughs> Sorry, I was like. Well, some people did theorize that um, there was a lot of construction in the area, maybe in some concrete, that sort of thing. Oh, sure. Well, after his tantrum that he threw at the Sears and Roebuck, Walter Emmerich walks down to the St. Anthony Hotel, just one street over from the Gunter Hotel, where this had all began. He arrived there around 2 p.m., and he gives a new alias this time, checking in under the name Robert Ashley of Dallas. One would think he would try to avoid calling undue attention to himself, but not Walter. Oh, no. He demands room 636. This guy... It sounds like he's trying to be theatrical, but really he's just an idiot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, as it turns out, the room was already taken. They had room 536 open, so he took that. The following day, which was Wednesday, February 10th of 1965, maids at the St. Anthony Hotel started to grow suspicious when the occupant in room 536 repeatedly declined housekeeping service. They notified the head of security for the hotel, who calls the police. When the police arrive, they bring with them the check-in slip from room 636 at the Gunter Hotel to compare it to the one used to check into the St. Anthony. The handwriting is a match. So they stack up at the door to make entry. And what happens next is not clear. Some say they knocked and announced themselves as police while others say they intentionally avoided doing so to try to catch him by surprise. These sources say the room key accidentally clinks against the door as they're trying to open it quietly, inadvertently alerting the man inside. Oops. A gunshot is heard inside the room. They all hit the deck, and whether they had the key in their hand, were able to open the door, or if they had to bust it down, they make their way into the room, and they find Walter Emmerich lying in bed under the covers with a twenty-two caliber pistol in his hand and a gunshot wound to his temple. Aye. A detective rushes over and sees that he's still alive. Oh, God. Struggling to breathe. Oh. He goes down and gets in his face and yells, where's the body? <laughs> Walter does not answer, but only continues fighting for breath, making gurgling sounds, oh, and soon my. stops breathing altogether. Yeah, I I can't even imagine how, I mean, it's got to be, I don't know if that's completely like just auto happening there, if your brain is still alive, but can you imagine shooting yourself in the head and thinking, okay, it's just going to be over before I even know what happened. And then if you're still aware, as you know what's happened, you know it went through your head and you're still partial, partially alive, like that's got to be terrifying. Yeah, I can't, oh, I can't even begin to that's, that. Oh, my God. But in any case, Walter A. Emmerich is dead, taking his secrets with him to the grave. Now, here are some photos from that scene. Hold, please. He has a very familiar-looking face. I can't exactly place him with anybody he kind of rem, uh, reminds me of Leave Shiver, I think is how you say his name. 
Um, I don't know. He's, he's been in a lot of different movies, but he kind of reminds me of him, but not quite. He just have a, has a very familiar face. But for that crime scene, that's always just so chilling to see someone just, that's where they died. That's the position that they were in. That's the blood splat. Like, it's mm-hmm. just... Yeah. That last moment of their life is just right there. Sort of frozen it's in frozen time. in time, exactly. To me, he has sort of the look of just the generic... 50s and 60s guy, the same haircut, sort of even... Wife a, beater. Yeah, he had that the A shirt on in bed. Well, he was buried days later, attended by only five people. In fact, there were so few in attendance that some of the reporters there to cover the story were called upon to be pallbearers. Now, that's a shitty gig there. You come yeah. to report, hey, can you carry this murderer's dead body? Uh, pass? No, no, come on. No, come on, y'all. No, no, You're here. Somebody's you. got to do it. That's awful. Don't make his mama do it. Oh, my gosh. That's awful. All kinds of theories are out there on what happened that day and what might have led to it. Some speculate that Emmerich had impregnated a woman, a botched abortion ensued, and he had to get rid of her body. Others have speculated that Emmerich's blonde was not a woman at all, but a man and then Emmerich killed him to keep their tryst secret. Now, that's all just speculation, of course. But when there are no real answers, we're left to theorize on our own about what might have actually happened. But what's so crazy about this case isn't so much what we know, it's what we don't know. Of course, it always is. <laughs> now, ironically, even with all the blood found in room 636, there really was no concrete physical evidence of a murder. According to the district attorney at the time, the only charge that would have been brought against Emmerich would have been malicious mischief over $50 because the hotel spent over $100 cleaning up the mess that he left in the room. Mischief managed. (laughs) Yes, $100 was worth a whole lot more than it was back then. Mm -hmm. Side note, I saw some of the newspaper clippings from around that time. I saw an advertisement for a color television. Ooh. And it was for, I think, $500 and some odd dollars. And back then, that was a fortune. I did the adjust for inflation. Oh, cool. What it was is over $4,000 in today's money. Dang. I remember our first flat screen TV, 40-inch uh, screen, and that was the first flat screen we bought, and we were just married, and it was like 1600 and it was on sale. Yeah. Now you can get a 60-inch one for $400, <laughs> and it's the 10 quality times is quality. Five, yeah. 4K but, smart TV. Dang, I remember that. We the first, yeah. do you remember the first thing we watched on that flat screen? It had to have been Planet Earth. You are right. Yes, we would kick ass at the newlywed game. <laughs> well, police continued investigating for months and maybe even years, but they never did find a body. They never uncovered the identity of the victim, and no one matching that description was ever reported missing. Since then, staff and guests at the Gunter Hotel have reported unexplained or paranormal phenomena, much of it on the sixth floor in the vicinity of room 636. Ooh, tell me, tell me, tell me. The seemingly restless spirit has often appeared with her arms outstretched. Strange sounds of hammering have been reported coming from an unoccupied room. Others have reported seeing the image of a blonde woman inexplicably appearing in photographs with him. I looked. I couldn't find any. I've really oh, looked. Those, I, I've seen, have you seen ones of those? Not necessarily this case, but like, this is a picture of grandma uh, at this year with me and grandpa ha- is in the photo, but he had been dead for 10 years. I haven't seen that, but I'd love to. You got to show that to me. Yeah. Just ones like that kind of story is like, no one else mm-hmm. was there. It was, you know, we had a tripod. There's no one there. There is a third person. in this. At least it's not like the the black dress of the veil behind the boy. If I saw that, man, there'd be so much sage. <laughs> I mean, I'd be living up at the yeah. church, <laughs> be bathing in holy water, stuff like that. I'd be like, nope, <laughs> nope, nope. Housekeeping staff has reported new employees often quit after their first time they're assigned to clean that room. Where there's one spirit, others sometimes also linger. Other reports indicate an elderly woman has also been known to lurk around the hotel. There have been numerous guests who have conducted paranormal investigations in the room, 
which is now actually split into two rooms. After renovation, it turned into 620 and 621. So there is no room 636 anymore. They're erasing history. Yes. Now, what, as far as what people experience, males are reported to sometimes fall into fits of anger or rage, and women are sometimes physically attacked. In what way? Well, one couple recorded their interaction with a spirit who, in response to the couple's taunting, violently yanked the woman's hair backwards as she sat on the bed. Don't taunt ghosts. If they're, they're trying to get a response for the vidya. If they're ghosts or demons, you don't know. Don't taunt them. Yeah. Just be like, yo, I'm, I'm just over here norkeling. I'm just, <laughs> this your world player. I'm just, you know, I'm yeah. keeping it myself. Possibly worse than what people experience in their rooms is what happens when they go home. Angry thoughts and night terrors may follow you home if you don't expressly forbid Walter from tagging along with you after your visit. Oh my gosh, that's so scary. So he attaches to him. Possibly. Oh, no, no, no. Assuming that's him. That's scary. Now, do you remember the team who investigated Big Al's bar? Yeah, that radio guy Mm -hmm. from San Antonio. The Russell Rush Haunted Tour. Yes. They also did some investigating in these rooms. And actually, Russell partnered with Guillermo Fuentes, the guy who mentioned earlier had spent 12 or more years by that point researching these events. He wrote a book on it, right? Yes. And they got together and tried to look more deeply into the case to see if they could uncover anything new through additional research and paranormal investigation. As luck would have it, a well-known psychic was in town, someone who had been assisting law enforcement with cases for years, specializing in missing persons, a guy named Gareth Pendragon. That's not a cool name. I don't know what is. Is that his actual name or is that like a Pendragon? Gareth, G-H-A-R-I-T-H. That's a pretty badass name. Sounds like a rock and roller. Mm -hmm. And the guy just sort of very meek and soft-spoken, just seems like a real chill dude. Anyway, he didn't know anything about the case. They didn't tell him anything about the case. But they just asked him to go into the room, tell him what he felt in there, if anything. Mm Mm-hmm. His time in that room may be the most chilling part of their investigation. Oh, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm going to play a clip of his <gasps> visit to the Gunter Hotel room, 621 yes. for y'all now. It's kind of long. It's about six minutes, but it's just fascinating to me. Images of blood. Sense that someone may have died here. Do you have any details on anything come to you that way? Working on it. Not a natural death. Uh, So we're talking about uh, something violent that happened. What about genders of of anything that you're picking up on? So far, I've gotten the possibility of a lady involved. But I don't get the sense of just one spirit per se here. The first thing I picked up on coming in was a male spirit. Are you picking up on any names? Not yet. For me, uh, images tend to be more accurate than names or initials. Sometimes they come through. We're looking for a name because the victim in this case was never known. Oh, wow. The ghosts here, um, you know, tend to think that since this happened here, that they have some sort of jurisdiction. Even the woman? Yeah, it's more alarm from her. She's here to warn people. Of sorts, and trying to figure out who we are, (laughs) type of thing. So literally right now, are they watching us? Yeah. Um, There's a belief that sometimes when people die, they don't realize they're dead, or they may feel that it was a real injustice, and they may want to linger to try to bring about justice. Where, Where are they right now? One is over here, that, and one is coming in 
uh, the, the man, and he lingers in that part of the room. By the, you're talking about the bathroom and everything? Yeah. Can we go in there? Sure. I get a sense that there were loud voices at the time. It wasn't like a quiet thing. They may have been having an argument or the man may have been angry. It's almost like he wanted her to comply with something. Um, it involved, outside this room, it involved some personal thing and she wasn't going for it. The session seems to be draining for Gareth. They knew each other, definitely. He may have been afraid that she would tell someone something. When she died, he really hadn't planned it. It was like a sudden anger thing. Not that he had no way uh, that he could figure out immediately how to dispose of her body. It was suddenly um, a dilemma for him. How did he do it? What, did he, what was the solution that he came up with? He made a phone call. There was a period of time of waiting. Um, like time went by um, before he actually did something. After he killed her, are we talking days, hours? Hours. Because yeah, the maids would come in and they would see it otherwise. Original police reports stated maids walked in to see someone sleeping under the covers. They assumed a man. But could it have been her body the entire time? But he had help. There was a man. He knew what his friend had done and helped to cover it up so he'd be an accomplice legally. This is the first we're hearing of an accomplice. But if true, makes so much sense to how Walter was able to escape. After he called his friend, what happened? They picked up the body. I get a sense of the body being removed from here, but put in something. It's almost like she was folded over. She was put inside the box. Is she in the room now? Um, more in the, the atmosphere here. Like, can I speak to her through you? Well, she, she hears you. I can echo any response. Can you tell us where, where he disposed of your body? I get a sense of her crying that her body is no more. Like, he, he put her someplace where it discorporated. What kind of a place? Well, for instance, like if you put her in water, after a certain amount of time, it would disintegrate. Will he talk to you at all? He's more angry at us. <laughs> he was somewhat disturbed. I don't think he was a totally rational person. How in the world did she get mixed up with such a person? Wow. So what do you think about that? That is pretty intense. He has one of those voices and personas where I just kind of want to lean in and listen to what he has to say, the, the medium. Gareth? Gareth. Gareth. I like that name. And I, I was thinking logically, sure, anyone could have done research and seen this. It was in the papers and get some ideas about crime scene and stuff, but... From what he was saying, he was talking more about things that weren't in there, like the talk of an accomplice, the talk of the emotions of the spirits, kind of that this guy was unhinged and um, she was, she had some information that he was like, you better not share with anybody. And exactly more of like a motivation of how this actually happened. It's the first idea we get of. Maybe that is the motive. Mm -hmm. People people have had those theories. Yeah. But I guess it piles on to, OK, 
okay, maybe there was something about him that she knew that he didn't want to share. And if they're having this argument, she's like, okay, fine, I'm going to tell everybody. Right, and in a panic, that's what the the medium was saying. Like, this wasn't a, a... it wasn't premeditated. It happened in like the heat of a moment right. and he pulled the trigger and she's dead. And then like he waits and he's like, holy shit, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. It's not like he had a plan in his head beforehand that he's like, okay, now she's dead. Now I do X, Y, Z. Now I did ABC. So yeah, just the fact if it's true what they said that he had no knowledge of the case, didn't know where they were taking him. He really had a lot of stuff on the nose about the the facts of the case that we do know. And then added on to that a lot of stuff we didn't already know, which I found just really, again, fascinating. Kind of filling in the the blank spots of, well, what was the motive? Why would someone do this? Right. The idea of an accomplice may not have been discussed prior, but it might explain a lot about how he could have avoided attention immediately after but also maybe the accomplice took the box with him and stashed it for him somewhere or something because he was walking around without it, apparently checking into these other places and going to the Sears and whatnot. What was interesting to me is when he was mentioning that they could have held the body there for a while, that would kind of explain so much of the blood pooling out. That's true. And then move them, you know, if, if she shot her, if he shot her on the bed... She's bleeding so much blood there, and maybe when they were trying to move her, uh, or maybe they tried to, you know, dismember her there, and that's where blood was splattering everywhere. They're like, "Mm, maybe we should move this to the bathroom, and then you see the crime scene of all the blood pooled in the bathroom. So it seems like she was left somewhere for a little bit. They tried something, didn't work, got messy, moved her somewhere else, made that place messy. I think if there was an accomplice, that the accomplice came and picked him up in a car after he, he bailed out. But I think he, I think personally he was in the room by himself and did all the cutting up and everything over, those, over the course of a couple hours there. And then the accomplice came and picked him up in the car, and that's how he was able to get around town from one place to another without being seen and not have that box everywhere. Well, the Russell Rush haunted tour did their own investigations, of course, because that's what they do. And they got some interesting evidence, like having a spirit turn a flashlight on and off on command, where they say you just complete the connection, complete the circuit, and the light will come on. And if you're here, can you turn the light on? If that was you, will you turn the light off? That sort of a thing. They got a few EVPs, but nothing too conclusive. The most interesting thing was how it affected the team members. For example, after the first night in the room, Russell reported back the next day that he had been woken up by his girlfriend asking if he was okay. She told him that he had been thrashing side to side, shielding himself with his arms, yelling, no, please stop. This was not him. He didn't have nightmares. He didn't walk in his sleep or talk in his sleep or anything like that. He was telling Guillermo this because they were working together. Guillermo said, yeah, same things happened to me. Wow. It's like they're jumping into their dreams and acting the stuff out in their yeah. bodies and making their bodies move. And Guillermo reminded him that you have to tell the spirit not to follow you home if you want that to happen. Well, the next night, he asked, this is Russell, he asked if whoever was there had caused his bad dreams he'd had the night before. If so, turn on the flashlight. It did. So right at that moment, he stood straight up out from where he was sitting in the bed it made a point to tell that spirit there that it did not have permission to follow him out of the room. And you could see Russell getting uncharacteristically angry as he raised his voice, eventually to the point he was standing at the foot of bed, staring in the direction of the headboard. And they realized, like, this is, this is something, you know, this is not you. Let's go ahead and call it a night. Like he was almost being possessed by the anger of that man? Well, it, he just felt this wave of of anger is sounds how he like described it come from, over him. Yeah. Sounds like if it wasn't his normal thing, that it was an influence or something of that spirit. Well, the following night, a married couple named Daryl and Kendra were on the team. They have their turn investigating. Daryl is trying to elicit any kind of response. He's talking about how that woman could have been someone's daughter. She could have been someone's mother. And then Kendra asks, Did that make you feel powerful to hurt somebody that was weaker than you? 
Well, just then, she bolts up from her reclined position on the bed, saying that she felt something on her arm. And as she's telling Daryl what happened, they hear a loud sound coming from the direction of the hall. He goes and opens the door, but there's nobody out there. So they come back to Kendra. She says it feels like someone pinched her arm, like her upper arm. So he gets his flashlight out. Daryl looks at her arm and they zoom in on it. You can see four pronounced scratches on her <gasps> arm as no. if someone had grabbed her arm with the thumb on the bottom and, and squeezed until their hand, uh, squeezed with their hand until the nails drove across the skin. I, oh, uh-uh. I'm going to go show Brittany. I'm going to show you that clip real quick. <gasps> yes. So, understandably, Daryl is incensed. I, I think he's got some kind of possession because he's just kind of sitting there staring. It's like he got locked in and kind of went into almost like a hypnotic type of situation where you're just kind of calm. And I think maybe, I, I don't know if ghosts like literally like come into you or if they just try to manipulate you from the outside. I don't know how that works. But it seems like he was kind of being held there and it was like the ghost was giving him his bad vibes. Well, he certainly had plenty to be mad about that he did that to his wife Yeah, to begin with. Well, okay, I want to address that because at first he's on the side of the bed mm-hmm. yelling to it and he's, you know, come on, that's my wife. He's talking to it. He's constantly. But when he goes to the foot of the bed and stares at it, he just stops. It's almost like he's like, I'm telling you, come here. Exactly, yeah. That's and what it's I was like gonna say. He he becomes locked. He becomes like under something spell. And what they notice, if you don't haven't had a chance to watch it, is in that rage, he's then standing in the exact same spot that Russell had been standing the night before when he was having his fit of anger, staring straight ahead toward the headboard. Mm-hmm. It seems like that was probably where that guy, Walter, was at his peak anger and probably shot that girl and, like, is standing there kind of frozen, like, holy shit, I just did that. But he's still, you know, when you're angry, that doesn't just go away. You're, "Ah, ah," and it seems like that's where that was pulsing and that, that energy was just stuck there and that was just whoever kind of was almost inviting that in took them over. about starting a podcast but not exactly sure how to do it? Buzzsprout was the answer for us and they can be for you too. They have tons of guides to help you get set up for success and their customer service is fantastic. I always seem to have a million questions and each time I've worked with their customer service, they've responded quickly with the detailed information I need. Buzzsprout helps you get listed in all the major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more and will upload your episodes to those platforms within minutes of finishing your recording. It couldn't be easier. You'll get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Buzzsprout is offering our listeners a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up for a paid plan. Click on the link in our show notes to let Buzzsprout know that we sent you and to show support for our show. Paid plans start as low as $12 a month. And there's no contracts, plus you can cancel anytime. Get the right team in your corner with Buzzsprout, who has already helped over 100,000 podcasters make their dreams a reality. Buzzsprout, the best way to host, promote, and track your podcast. Or maybe she was just, um, I wanted to use an expression, but it's not going to work there, so we can get that. Maybe she was just really ragging on him. Maybe she was taunting him or insulting him or putting him down in some way that triggered something deep-seated from his father or whatever. But to where he wasn't just gonna, he just wasn't going to take it anymore. He got to that point. Snapped. Well, that concluded the investigation in the hotel for that team. They were about done after that. And their investigations far as the research and everything sort of all dried up at that point their, their leads dried up they had somebody from the library helping them and they weren't going to help them anymore and so that was sort of the end of it and 
the mystery continues. And we'll, we'll likely never know who was in that room with Walter Emmerich and what happened to them before and after they died. But people continue to have experienced to have experiences in the hotel, not just on the sixth floor, but also the fourth floor in the basement. So when are we going? Uh, when this Rona passes, <laughs> I want to take, and y'all, we are totally going to, when we can and it's safe to travel, we are going to go to some haunted hotels, to some bed and breakfast places, and go and stay and do like live streams from there, podcast episodes from there, recordings, because... I find this fascinating. I've never done it before, but I very much want to. So I'm down just as soon as we can and it's safe and things are open. Let's do it. And there's plenty of haunted places in San Antonio to go. We were just talking about a different haunted hotel, the Menger as well. Mm-hmm. And we got to go to Shiloh's Deli. But anyways, that, my little butter stuff, is the unsolved mystery of the Gunter Hotel's room 636. I love it. I love I. I love when you do a true crime because I could finally be part of that conversation, talking about it and speculating and just diving into little bits. I I love it. And then there's the paranormal part, which you love, and I love. Who doesn't love a ghost story? I I mean, mean, come come on. on. (gasps) Aww. (laughs) Jinx. But I just, I I love it. And I, I want to, you know, have one of these experiences and see how it's like and everything. So what do you think actually happened up in that room 636? I had my suspicions at first before the psychic came in about what happened. It seemed like it could have very well been he got someone in trouble and they had to do kind of a botched abortion. And that would explain the blood like in one place on the bed and then going to the bathroom and bleeding out. And then they have to get rid of the body and there's just blood everywhere. And maybe that could be very well what it was. And then... When the story that the psychic was telling about, she knew something about him that he didn't want anyone else to know. And that kind of went back to, you said he had been called gay slurs by his father and he had been seen frequenting gay bars. And hey, if he's gay, you know, hey, that that's how he lives his life. It's fine. But back then, that was... You could not let it would ruin your career, your family, everything would be taken from you. So if that was the case, and she was like, "Hey, I know some, I know this about you," maybe he, you know, just flew into a rage, and maybe she was saying things about like like triggers that he had with his dad, Mm -hmm. and that just caused him to snap, and he killed her, you know, in a fit of rage, and then he's like, "Holy shit." I just killed this person. What the hell do I do? Which would explain not moving him for not moving her for a while, and you know maybe having to call someone in. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. What do you think the chance was that the blonde wasn't actually a woman? Uh, at first I thought, okay, well, it probably wasn't a man in a wig or anything because if they were going to bars, they'd be up front with somebody at a bar, you know, the bartender would be in seeing them and probably would be able to see, hey, this is a cross-dressing man, you know, or a man who's trying to look like a woman, Um, especially for that day and age. That was something like you did not see, and I can imagine that standing out. Maybe it was just dark where they were going. Maybe, and maybe it was someone who could pull that off really well. Maybe just very convincing. But I think... It would have probably been so much easier for him to try to have the appearance if he was trying to hide something. Well, I'll go around town with this hot woman and people will think, okay, well, this dude's, you know, he's an all right guy. He's one of the boys, you know, he's out with a hot girl trying to get his kicks or whatever. I, that to me makes more sense given the, the times and especially if he is trying to hide something, yeah. trying to cover it up and overcompensate almost. One of the things that confused me the most is why would he have stayed downtown instead of skipping town? Well, I have some things to say about that. A lot of times murderers will stay close to crime scenes. It's a proven thing over and over that they're often right there in the crowd watching. They can't stay away. Now, if this was 
not you know something that was premeditated and it just kind of happened out of anger, that kind of doesn't exactly fit that. But maybe it's just a thing of like, holy cow, it's right here. Maybe he couldn't go that far before I mean, someone might notice someone trying to leave town. So he just ducked into another place. It just seems like there was... Be as much as they were searching around that area, he had a friend. If he had an accomplice, a friend with a car that could have he taken him somewhere. Now maybe he thought, well, I gave a, a fake name at the hotel, so they won't know it's me. But then once his mugshot is all over the papers and the news, you know, all everywhere, he knows that they're going to be looking for him. And one of the, the pictures of his suicide, there was a newspaper on the bed. That's so. true, but how, how fast had that come out? It wasn't like instant media like we have now with the internet right. and with 24-7 news places. It was, this had to be researched. They had to find the guy. They had to get the picture. They had to get the picture, like, literally sent over to the newspaper thing because, you know, they weren't faxing nothing back then. Yeah. They didn't have that, so then they had to, like, somehow copy it. And, you know, what I'm, that all takes time. That's yeah. time for someone to move, time for someone to kind of maybe grow a little bit of a beard or something. <laughs> well, the newspapers, I mean, there were sometimes two editions. There's a morning edition and an evening edition sometimes. Still. You would see newspaper clippings. There are updates about the case. And this was over the course of four days. But, you know, for until the 6th, the morning of the 6th, he was in that other motel. Now, we know that on that afternoon of the 6th, he was still looking for a meat grinder. So I think the only reason to stick around is that he felt like he still needed to get rid of these remains somehow. Then the question is, where the hell were the remains being kept? Exactly. They wouldn't have been... In the mini bar? At the, at the bottom of the river at that point. Because they were dredging the river. Well, I mean, they, were, they weren't the whole entire river. There were sections of the river walk downtown that they were doing, but we learned, if you watch this whole thing, that they weren't... They weren't dragging the entire river. There were, there were parts of it outside of downtown that there weren't. So um, one possibility that I didn't see in any of my research that hadn't been discussed, and it was based on one of the items of evidence they found at the original scene, that they see where there were small bloody footprints around the room. Now, if she's already dead, how's she walking around and making bloody footprints? Were they high heels like, they were small footprints. They didn't oh, say okay, like so shoe, shoe prints. Print. Okay, I'm so. assuming by footprints they mean an actual foot and not a shoe print. So, is it possible what, that he had small feet? Maybe. Now, what if, um, what if she was not the one who died? Maybe that blonde he was seen with wasn't the person who died in that room. Maybe Ooh. she was an accomplice. Oh, that's an interesting spin. Maybe a gay lover or some other person who was like that. And maybe somebody completely unrelated. Wow. Now, as I thought about it, though, maybe he had already stabbed her or something. I mean, you don't just, unlike what it shows in the movies, you don't just die right when somebody shoots you or stabs you. Um, sometimes they were incapacitating, and it very rarely a gunshot will, will kill you immediately, but... There is a matter of time before someone dies. Maybe he had already stabbed her or shot her or something, and she was still trying to get away from it at that point. And there's nothing in the police report or anything that would indicate, I mean, you'd think even in the, the 50s, 60s, that they could still put a measuring stick up to her foot. Oh, they didn't have a foot. Never mind. I was about to say exactly. they could measure it with the body. Never mind. Again, we're so used to having a body when there yes. is a murder. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Based on the picture in one of the photos of the the suicide scene, I was able to figure out the model of pistol. It was a Colt Junior model, twenty two short. And normally the twenty two rounds that we have, the, the most common one is called twenty two long rifle. The twenty two shorts are shorter. So regular twenty twos are, I mean, they're they're high velocity, but they're very light bullet. This is an even smaller casing, less powder less power. So when he shot himself all the time before the police got in there, he still wasn't dead yet. When he shot her apparently from a farther distance, possibly she wasn't dead yet and still trying to get away. And one of the EVPs they picked up in their investigation, 
I said, what did, what did he do to you? And there was a faint EVP, sort of a breathy voice saying, he snapped my neck. <gasps> but that so, wouldn't cause blood. The blood is caused by him cutting her up. Oh, okay. But the splattering and stuff. Ripping arms and spleens oh. out and everything. Thank you I for that image. I. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the thing. With as little as we know about what actually happened, any of these things could be possibilities. But that sort of takes away my theory at first of, well, maybe she wasn't the victim. Just because based on the footprint, maybe the footprints were there because she was trying to get away. I mean, they found undergarments. They found hose. So there were things going on there, right? Maybe he took the, that off of her after she was dead, but he could have stabbed her or shot her and still she could have been alive and he might have needed to have stabbed her neck to finally end her life. Before. Sure, because if she's still alive after you shoot her, she's already threatening to tell on you, you have to, and you got to follow through. Yeah. Because now she's really going to tell because I shot her. Oh, gosh. These are those things that I, I wish there was a way to go back in like a time machine. You couldn't change anything because we know from Harry Potter that's very dangerous. <laughs> but you could go back and just almost be like a fly on the wall and just watch it like a video. And then we'd at least know. Yeah. And you I could, can totally see you smacking my hand when I was trying to see what you're doing the time turner. <laughs> yeah. Let me do it. I know how. Well, I would really love to know what all y'all listening think about all this. There's so much to talk about because there's so many unknowns. Yes. But love to hear your theories. We're going to put as many pictures up and links as, as I can on the socials. Make sure you stop by our website. Yes, I just, we got it switched over. So if y'all have been with us uh, since the beginning, we started creating a new website and it was really cool, but I just couldn't get it exactly how I was envisioning. Found this new hosting provider that I absolutely love. So we got everything switched over to them. So it's still the same website, childrenthrilled.com. And... Everything's all in one. That's what I love about it is everything's yes, all in one place. Everything's links one. to all the socials, links to the episodes. You can leave reviews and rate our episodes as well, right? Subscribe there. You can see everything. So it would bring us so much joy and love and help us to do what, continue to do what we're doing. If you would go onto childrenthrilled.com, click on the subscribe in the top right, and also leave us some stars. There's an option right in the top menu to review or leave a review rate you can do that you can listen on all the different platforms it's got their icon go check it out really love it hope y'all love it too and you can find all our socials there and we just can't wait to hear from you and as always thank you so much for listening we appreciate it we love y'all and i hope you have a great week bye mm-hmm.